Welcome to another episode of Mormon Sunday School. I'm your host, Bill Real. Grateful for the chance to be with you today. Today, we're going to be in the Gospel Principles Manual, Chapter 6, The Fall, and we'll just jump right into it. I would like to, I, I think today's lesson is really interesting, and what I would like to do is sort of relate the fall in LDS theology and in Christian theology at large. I would like to relate it to those who leave the church. And I think this will be done in a way that's really new and not something that uh, people have ever uh, really spent a lot of time thinking through. Um, but I hope that uh, today's lesson is interesting to you. Chapter six, the fall of Adam and Eve. I just will note here that uh, our goal is to present a faithful telling of basic Mormon doctrine to help people see how Mormonism has changed over the years, what things it used to teach about each of these topics and what it teaches today, to note the differences. And then lastly, to point out any deeper doctrines that are avoided by the manual, which has been made for new members and for those investigating Mormonism. And so we'll just start off with uh, the basic telling of Mormon doctrine. Uh, Adam and Eve were the first to come to earth. When Remember last week from the creation, when Heavenly Father created the planet through Jesus Christ and through Adam or Michael, uh, the earth was created. He uh, separated day from night, separated water from land, put the animals and vegetation on, and then put on the first two humans, made Eve from a rib we, of Adam. We talked about how that was uh, figurative. At least that's what early LDS leaders and even some more recently expressed. We talked about how maybe some of these stories aren't literal stories and that you have some freedom as a believer to decide what degree of literalness you're going to apply to these stories. But that Adam and Eve were first to come to earth, that Adam and Eve were valiant spirit, spirits, that they were uh, some of the most righteous of God's uh, children in the pre-earth life. I just want to note here a sentence that was in the 1979 manual that was removed in the modern manual. Although the scriptures do not tell us anything about Eve before she came to the earth, she must have been a choice daughter of God. That is no longer in the manual, um, but it was in the older one. Uh, it notes that Adam is Michael the archangel, and it notes that Adam and Eve were foreordained before this world before their mortality, to be the first humans on the planet. Uh, in the Garden of Eden, uh, it talks about how the garden was a perfect place, that there wasn't physical death there, that uh, Adam and Eve were not mortal yet, that God commanded them to have children, to multiply and replenish the earth, that they were told that there is a tree in the garden that uh, contains the knowledge of good and evil, and they were not to partake of that tree. They were to leave that tree alone. It talks about how Satan, not knowing the mind of God, but seeking to destroy God's plan, came to Eve in the Garden of Eden. I just want to note that doesn't make much sense to me, that Satan was naive and accidentally fulfilled God's plan. Uh, if, it, if it's accidental, then God can't uh, anticipate it, per se. And also we know that uh, Lucifer is able to uh, participate from the other side in tempting us 
And hence, he could also hear all of our thoughts, and there are lots of logical issues with Satan listening to us have conversations. One example would be that like when Satan uh, is tempting all of us humans on this planet, and God acknowledges that that's a part of the plan of salvation, that we need to have good separated from evil, and that while the Holy Ghost can help us do good, while the light of Christ can help us do good, we also need the opposite. Book of Mormon says opposites are essential. And hence, we need a uh, a deceiver here who's trying to tempt us and trying to get us to do bad things. But Satan is listening to those things being taught. It would seem very reasonable to me that if I were Satan and I was listening to how to how I am fulfilling the plan by tempting everyone, I would just decide one day to stop tempting everyone. And therefore, I would thwart God's plan. In other words, it's not logical that Satan is uh, naive and accidentally fulfilling God's plan. He isn't naive. And uh, and, and if you want to say, well, he was naive in the garden, well, that's fine. But there are other problems later on where he's not naive. And if he's not naive, he now has the uh, information that would allow him to step outside of what Mormonism says he has to be doing. And what does it mean then if if Lucifer were to stop tempting and he were not to participate anymore? And if that's true, he would not participate anymore, then there isn't a deceiver, and yet still here we are being tempted, hence there really isn't a need for Satan. Uh, and so I hope that that makes sense. But there are logical issues with Lucifer as a literal deceiver, uh, tempting all of us every day, moment to moment. Uh, and that he's carrying out God's plan by doing the thing that he thinks is thwarting God's plan. All right, I just also want to note here, Adam trusted the wisdom of his wife, Eve. Remember, Eve is tempted by the serpent. Tempted, but we'll get into that here in a moment. Uh, tempted by the serpent, the serpent convinces Eve that she needs to partake of the fruit, to know good and evil, to be like the gods. She eats of the fruit. She becomes mortal. She's now going to have to leave the garden. She's going to have to taste of death. And Adam, being presented with what has just happened, trusts the wisdom of his wife and knowingly goes against God and God's law, sensing that she is right, that it is right for him to follow her lead, partake of the fruit, and now enter into mortality. When they partake of the fruit, Adam and Eve are separated from God. They have to leave the garden, and they now will have to work uh, to survive. They will be uh, confronted with lots of challenges and adversity, and so is life for all of us. Most of Christianity sees the fall as a negative. But the fall in Mormonism is a forward fall. It was necessary. They couldn't have had children in their perfected state. They didn't know good from evil. They weren't able to make choices with a full understanding of what those choices might mean. It was, it was a non-consensual state. It didn't operate on informed consent. The garden was void of that. And so Satan was right. He taught truth when he said that you will know good from evil, you will be like the gods. And once they knew good from evil, now they have informed consent as they make decisions. 
And so I just want to note that Satan uh, had introduced evil into the world was a line from the 1979 manual. You'll see that at the top left. That has since been removed, I think, in part because if there was a pre-Earth life, if people chose different sides of uh, choosing to be part of the plan of salvation or choosing to vote for Satan's plan, there may have been some degree of good and evil already in existence and wasn't that Satan had introduced it to the world. The other thing, too, is that inside the garden, everything was perfect. We don't really know what life was like outside the Garden of Eden because there was an entire planet Earth. And what was going on in the rest of that planet, uh, there had to have been some sort of good and evil per se. Um, and so I think that line came out because it wasn't theologically correct. And then great blessings resulted from the transgression. It is important to note that God needed Adam and Eve to violate his law, to transgress the law, because it put the plan of salvation into motion. There is no need for a redeemer to die for all of us and to help us have a space to repent if we were all in the perfected garden state. So God, even though he gave a law to Adam and Eve, even though they disobeyed the law, it was a forward fall. It was not sin. And we'll get into that with some quotes from leaders here in a little bit. Last page of each manual, no, nothing really there other than the additional scriptures and some of the questions it asked. But it is important to note the last line in both manuals is the scripture that Adam fell, that men might be and men are, that they might have joy. The fall was an important step to progress, growth, and eternal happiness. All right, I want to connect some dots to people who leave the church, and I want you to uh, sit with what it might be like to experience a loss of faith for people who used to be all in on Mormonism and have stopped believing in the church's truth claims and have stepped away from activity and faithfulness in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I want to start by just saying, if we think about the Garden of Eden, and if we just think of a beautiful garden in our world, and I've got a, a shot up on the screen uh, an image of a large flower garden with a stream running through it, beautiful trees in the background. Remember, it was so innocent here. Adam and Eve didn't know good from evil. They weren't going to taste of death. Everything was perfect here. They had all the answers to all the questions. There really weren't any questions anyway. You, They knew with certainty that God was in charge and that all was good and taken care of. And I, I think of this, you know, when we're in the church, especially if we're born in the church, we have a very limited view of the world. We don't really understand what it's like to not be Mormon. We really don't understand what it's like to see the scriptures, to see uh, the plan of salvation, to see uh, LDS theology as an outsider. Our lens is an insider lens. And in Mormonism, we often think we have all the answers to all the questions and we know how everything's going to go, and we're so sure, we're so certain the church is true. We're so certain that everything is right, that God really is leading his church by his prophets, that they know exactly what we need, that they give us only the truth, and it's such a perfect state of happiness. And, and yet, there's something missing here, right? Like, there's something that needed to happen in the garden uh, that the 
that the humans, Adam and Eve, needed to sort of wake up to things being a little messier, a little more complex than they thought that those were. I want to note, too, that when one believes in God and one believes in the church, one doesn't really have to think too hard about death. That death, uh, while we will all have to suffer physical death, if we are believers in the restored gospel, if we have faith, if we've uh, lived a life of righteousness, we will uh, immediately exit death in mortality and immediately find ourselves, we believe we will, find ourselves in the presence of God in uh, the post-mortal world. And so death doesn't really have any, ha uh, any grip on us. Uh, we know that it's going to happen, but we see it as just a step on the path. It doesn't have any sort of finality to it. And so death hasn't entered the world within the garden. When you're in the garden or in the church and you have a, an orthodox view or you believe things very literally, death is not something that you need to really wrestle with. And you can sort of spend your life building the church here and sort of avoid some of the uh, important moments of spending time with family, per se, because you know that you'll have all eternity to work out uh, spending time with family. And yet, if we step outside of that lens, and if we take on, let's say, an atheist view for a moment, we recognize that death suddenly becomes very real. And that the time we have on this earth is extremely precious. It might be the only time we have. And hence, for one who leaves the garden, death becomes very serious, very real. And, and I will say for the folks that I've spoken to who have left the church, um, I don't sense that they have a lot of worry or apprehension about death, that rather it is a positive motivational factor in them living their life to the fullest in the here and now. But I just will say that after leaving the garden, death becomes very real. Uh, Satan tempts Eve, tempts Eve with the fruit. Now that fruit is sort of magical. That fruit is going to change the headspace of Adam and Eve. It's going to change their awareness. It's going to help them know things that they couldn't have possibly known before taking a bite of that fruit. When they take that fruit, they're going to understand good from evil. But they're also going to have violated God's law in some way, and hence they're going to have to leave. And I often think of people who dive into the history of the church. And I'll use another example here in a moment. But for those who dive into the history of the church, the history of the church is extremely messy. It doesn't all add up. There are serious conundrums that challenge the truth claims of Mormonism. For people who take truth literally, can you imagine what it would feel like to dive into church history and to learn that all the things, at least many of the things you had been taught, aren't don't add up to the way you were taught them, that they are essentially not true, that you learn things about the church that the church seemed to have withheld from you or to have obfuscated or to, to have whitewashed or to have worded carefully, uh, have created carefully worded denials around. 
Can you imagine what it's like to want nothing more than Mormonism to be true, but to dive into the history and find that for you, it no longer was? That when you partake of the fruit, you know something different. Here's an early, here's an image of Adam and Eve, but portrays them as an early sort of hominid species, not quite human, sort of ape, half ape, half human. And they partake of the fruit and they're, they have sort of a psychedelic experience. Their, their awareness is completely altered and they suddenly find themselves truly awakened. Um, when people learn for themselves, again, not that it's true or not true, but when people learn for themselves that the church isn't true, again, we have, to, we have to accept that in some people's minds, they arrive at the conclusion that Mormonism is not true. And they have good reason for that. They find plenty of sufficient evidence. They went looking for evidence to prove the church true, and they found it, they found contrary. They found evidence that was contrary to the belief they wanted to hold. And, and the fruit is essentially information. When Adam and Eve partake of that fruit, they they are immediately awakened to information and to awareness. And can you imagine how hard it must be for people who want nothing more than the church to be true for them, but whose brain imposes on them that the information that they have learned necessitates that the church is anything but true. I also just want to make a note here of understanding Satan's role. To some degree, Satan told the truth. To some degree, he gave uh, more context than Heavenly Father was willing to. It was Heavenly Father who obfuscated in the situation of the Garden of Eden. Satan told the truth. You will know good and evil. You will be like the gods. Satan encouraged Adam and Eve to do the thing that was necessary. He encouraged them to taste of the fruit and to grow. I want to note that most of Christianity sees the fall as a negative in some ways, but Mormonism isn't the only place that sees it as a positive. Richard Rohr, Falling Upward, is one of the books that he wrote. I highly recommend Richard Rohr as a uh, person to learn wisdom from. We often think that we must only listen to our LDS prophets, seers, and revelators. We must only listen to the authorized uh, curriculum. We must only listen to the authorized sources. And yet tr Mormonism also teaches that truth is everywhere and that we ought to incorporate all the truth of the world into one whole. And how can we do that if we are judgmental of wisdom outside of our sources? So we have to open ourselves up to learning about things from an outsider's perspective, outside of Mormonism. If we only trust the things inside the garden, we may never wake up. And then uh, I want to just note here, we were talking about death earlier. The great purpose of the advent of the Messiah in the fullness of time was to redeem the children of men from certain consequences of the fall. For although that experience was necessary in the development of man and was, as has been said, a fall upwards, it had certain consequences that called for redemption. One of those was death, from which there would, be, there would have been no resurrection but for the redemption. And I just want to note, 
for those who lose belief in God, we ought to at least respect that they have taken on the wrestle with death, that they have been forced to think about death in very serious ways. And we ought to at least have some degree of respect for them being courageous enough and what effect it would have had to have to wrestle with those things. And then I want to note some other quotes here that sort of, again, these are things that LDS prophets, seers, and revelators have said, and it's what they have said about the fall, but I think it also applies to those who learn for themselves that the church isn't what it claimed to be, and we can maybe grow an appreciation for them rather than judge and shame them. So the Preparing for Exaltation Manual The decision of Adam and Eve to eat the forbidden fruit was not a sin, as it is sometimes considered by other Christian churches. It was a transgression, an act that was formally prohibited, but not inherently wrong. Their choice did not come from a desire to disobey the Lord, but from a desire to gain wisdom. Because of this choice, we have the opportunity to come to earth and learn as Adam and Eve did, how to choose good over evil. Express your gratitude for Adam and Eve and the choice they made. Encourage class members to follow Adam and Eve's example and to choose good over evil. So when I read this and I relate it to those who leave, we ought to recognize that their choice, people who leave the church because they no longer believe it, Their choice does not come from a desire to disobey God, but from a desire to gain wisdom. They went looking into the history. They wrestled with uh, their conscience on how the church handles social situations. I mentioned earlier I would give a different example. Often, people who leave the church leave because they see the church marginalizing people of color, for instance, when the church prohibited uh, people of color from having the priesthood or from going to the temple. The church today acknowledges that that was racist, and yet we still shame and judge the people who in the 1950s, the 1960s, even the 1970s, who stood up against the church and said, hey, LDS church, I'm a member. I want this church to be good, but you guys are racist. And you could simply look to things like Dr. Lowry Nelson and his letters with the first presidency. He was pushing back against the church on something that the modern church admits it was wrong on. So we judge and shame people whose values are not represented by the church's bad behavior or its false teachings because that person could no longer be aligned with the church and they stepped away. We see this in the modern moment as the church is shifting slowly to handle better people who are homosexual. The church used to teach that masturbation was a cause of homosexuality, that people chose to be homosexual, and that they should be immediately disciplined by the church and excommunicated for being homosexual. But today, in 2024, the church is shifting or has changed drastically on every one of those. 
to the point where it no longer says it knows what the cause of homosexuality is, that it agrees that it's not a choice, and it's not excommunicating members anymore who are homosexual, at least in some parts of the vineyard. And so we ought to wrestle with what it means for a human being who's a good person. Maybe it's your son. Maybe it's your mother. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it is a, a member of your ward who you used to think highly of. And suddenly they no longer believe in the church and they've stepped away. And the church has taught us for 200 years to see those people as apostates, to see them as having fallen away. But might we also set that down for a moment and recognize that these people wanted more, nothing more than Mormonism to be what it claims, that they saw Mormonism either its truth claims not adding up within the history, or they saw the church behaving in ways that didn't match the values, the good values that they have. And hence, their choice did not come from a desire to disobey the Lord, but from the desire to gain wisdom. And we ought to express our gratitude to those who leave for the choice they made, because often they make that choice out of their integrity and out of courage. And so maybe we could sense that the sacrifice that people make when they leave. Do you know what happens when people leave? The relationships they have are hurt. Why? Because we believers, the believers in Mormonism, tend to want to step away. The, a believer often sees someone who's fallen away as it's too risky to stay close to them. I don't want to be influenced by them. I don't want to fall down the same path that they did. And so we, to some degree or another, shun those that we love, and we see them as having fallen. When in reality, maybe they did the more courageous thing. Maybe they did uh, the thing that they had to do that required their integrity. It was, it was a act of integrity to step away from the church. And I think we can see that too. I think having an, the ability to step into their shoes and see the choices the way they did, how how much risk did they take? How much sacrifice was made to step away from the thing that all their relationships were connected with, all of the things they held to be beautiful and true, and their brain told them one day that that wasn't real, and they risked everything to step away from it. Brad Wilcox said the story of the fall wasn't new, but the restoration added the knowledge of a mortal probation. Now people could understand why Adam and Eve's choice was wise and prudent rather than selfish and sinful. So for those who leave, can we maybe go, oh, like them leaving, maybe that was wise and prudent rather than selfish and sinful. And why the consequences, though difficult, were desirable by them. Now people could understand that God wasn't blaming or punishing them, but ultimately helping them. Maybe it was a necessary step for their path to step away from the church, and that this that God also had a space or a place in leading them to do that. 
M. Russell Ballard, indeed, we honor and respect Adam and Eve for their wisdom and foresight. Can we respect those who leave for their wisdom and foresight? Their lives in the Garden of Eden were blissful and pleasant, choosing to leave behind, to leave that behind so that they and the entire human family could experience both the triumphs and travails of mortality must not have been easy. For those who leave the church, being in the church was blissful and pleasant for many of them. They wanted nothing more than Mormonism to be true. Choosing to leave that behind had a lot of risk. They probably felt a lot of fear. They probably had a lot of apprehension. But maybe they thought it was necessary for them to live their best life. To experience the triumphs and travails of mortality must not have been easy. But we believe they did choose mortality and in so doing made it possible for all of us to participate in Heavenly Father's great eternal plan. Maybe the people who leave did the very best thing for them. And hence, we should not judge them or shame them. Joseph F. Smith said, The fall of man came as a blessing in disguise. I never speak of the part Eve took in this fall as a sin, nor do I accuse Adam of a sin. It is not always a sin to transgress the law. Keep that in mind. Maybe your son or your mother, maybe your daughter or your father, maybe your friend at work or your sibling, Maybe they did the hard thing. Maybe that came with a lot of fear and apprehension, but they were courageous enough and had enough integrity to do the thing that their brain told them was the right thing to do. And maybe it wasn't a sin. Maybe they did the very best thing they knew to do with the information they had. Can you maybe, the next time you see them, sit with them? And help them understand that you now have thought about these things. That you can appreciate how difficult it was for them to make the choices that they did. And that you're proud of them for being courageous. That you're proud of them for, for having integrity and making decisions based on that integrity. Does that mean you have to compromise your belief to do that? Seems like you would want the respect the other direction. I would suggest maybe we have to give a little before we get a little. Russell M. Nelson said, We and all mankind are forever blessed because of Eve's great courage and wisdom. By partaking of the fruit first, she did what needed to be done. Adam was wise enough to do likewise. I have seen numerous people leave the church, and they are happier afterward. They have less stress. And they are able to be better parents. They're able to be better spouses. They're able to be better children to their parents. If you have a child who has left the church, if you have a sibling who has left the church, maybe you could let them know that you appreciate their courage and wisdom in doing that. I want to note one other example of this specific thing that we're talking about. Hans Matson. He was a Sweden Area 70. Hans was a area authority. He had received the second anointing. He was as faithful and believing as there was. 
when Hans uh, learned about the history of the church, he had questions. He wanted nothing more than Mormonism to be true. But the further he dove into the history of the church, the further he dove into how the church uh, reconciled its theology with its treatment of those who don't exactly fit in a box, Hans, uh, his questions turned to doubts and his doubts turned to disbelief. But the man, you don't have to listen more than five minutes to this man talk to know that he has integrity, that he's honest and good, that he has done, done a serious effort to try to put things back together. And his brain told him that that was not going to be possible. And I would highly recommend, there are several places online where Hans Matson has been interviewed. He's also written a book. And I would suggest that if you want to understand what it's like to lose faith and how difficult that journey is and how much pain is involved and how much courage and integrity was required to go down that path, I'd recommend highly listening to the story of Hans Matson. I also want to note that Joseph Smith said, by proving contraries, truth is made manifest. In other words, the way that we progress and grow is to wrestle with complex things that are not black and white. Hence why I'm presenting these ideas to you today is to, is to ask you to wrestle with them. Is it possible for you the church is true and that it is the right thing to do and stay and that for another human being that the church isn't true? and that the right thing for them to do was to leave. Can you honor them as much as you would like them to honor you? In uh, wrapping up here, the dilemma. There is a dilemma here for the believer, no matter how one looks at it. God's plan could not have moved forward without Adam and Eve breaking a commandment. If breaking a commandment is a sin, then God wanted them to sin, which doesn't sound right. This is bothersome for those who believe in obedience to all God's commandments. You might ask, how could God want Adam and Eve to sin when God clearly wants us to avoid sin? Maybe God's inviting us to challenge the status quo. Maybe God is inviting us through the story of the garden in the fall to challenge those who have placed themselves as our authorities. Maybe the story of the fall is asking us to consider that the rules were created by those who wish to keep us obedient and compliant so that the authorities can maintain their hold on their position. Maybe the garden story challenges us to think outside the box and to also recognize that Violating the rules when our conscience, our courage, and our integrity call us to do so, maybe such is not sin. It reminds me a lot of the allegory of uh, the cave, Plato's cave, I believe. And the idea here is that there are some people who are enslaved in a cave. They are uh, tied up, chained down. They, they are not free to move about. They are trapped. And they're on inside a cave and they can't see behind them, but what they can see is the cave wall. And on the cave wall, all they've known all their life are these shadow figures. 
and the stories that they've attributed to those that they've been given. And on that cave wall are these shadowy figures. But what really is going on is that behind the wall, there are the authorities. And they have the objects, and they're the ones putting the shadow on the wall. And that distracts us. But what happens if we wake up and we leave the cave? If we sense that all of these things were myth, and that maybe there's something more real on the other side? Again, if we're going to be sincere in trying to be truth seekers, we have to consider all of these perspectives. Ending, Adam and Eve had to leave the garden. Look at this depiction. How hard do you think that was for them? How much apprehension do you think they felt? How much fear do you think they had? How scared were they about what was going to come next, about the great unknown that they were walking out into? Again, lots of human beings do things that we deem as being unrighteous or falling away or sin. And in reality, maybe they did the bigger thing, the harder thing. They followed their intuition, their conscience. They chose to do the brave thing, perhaps. And maybe we could all learn something from that. That's today's lesson, chapter six on the fall from the Gospel Principles book. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm excited to see you back next week. Have an excellent day, and I hope you learned something from today's conversation.